0: Hello everyone and welcome to this service of worship for the entire Presbyterian community across Ireland. We are calling this Refresh Week as a time of stepping back from normal parish duties for many of our ministers. We so appreciate the work they do, the care they offer, the teaching they provide week by week, and the commitment they show to the complex task of ministry. And, of course, this has been made all the more difficult in this year, as indeed life has been for all of us. Now, normally the General Assembly would have been meeting this particular week at the start of June. But, taking advice from others, we have postponed it until the first week of October in the hope that more of us may be able to gather then to reflect together on the really big issues facing us as a church. We greatly appreciate your support and prayers for us as we navigate the way ahead. In the service today, I'm going to be joined at different points by Yule Mars, who is PCI's Global Mission Secretary, and Dr Liz Hughes, who convenes that council's work. In addition, I'm absolutely thrilled that two couples from my home congregation in Elmwood will be leading our prayers for others at the conclusion. So we begin with Stuart Townend's musical setting of The Shepherd Psalm. Let us praise God.
1: The Lord's my shepherd, I'll not want. He makes me lie just green he leads me by the still still waters his goodness restores my soul and I will trust in you alone and I will trust Mercy follows me. Your goodness will lead me home. He guides my ways in righteousness, and he anoints my head. Lead me home.
0: and so we come to God in prayer. Let us pray. Lord, as we come to worship you today, We acknowledge that you are the source of everything that exists. You are the creator of everything. You hold everything together. Before we were born, indeed before time itself began, before the universe was made, you were there. When time is finished, when the universe is no more, you will still be there. Nothing can diminish you. Nothing can compare to you. No words of ours can do justice to the grandeur and the kingship which you rightfully enjoy. And yet you've spoken to us. Out of the formlessness and emptiness you've spoken. And so creation was brought to be. You've spoken form and beauty into the world. You've spoken purpose into human life. You've spoken lament for human sinfulness. You've spoken forgiveness for sin and deliverance from its power. You've spoken life out of death and glory out of ignominy. Lord Jesus Christ, be present with us as we, by this means, gather in your name today and may it be that we are helped in our walk with you encouraged in our following of you challenged in our obedience to you and enthralled by the glory of your revealed character which we ask in jesus name amen And we continue with a reading from the Gospel, from Matthew's Gospel, chapter 9, and verses 9 to 17. And this is God's Word. As Jesus went on from there, he saw a man named Matthew sitting at the tax collector's booth. Follow me, he told him. And Matthew got up and followed him. While Jesus was having dinner at Matthew's house, many tax collectors and sinners came and ate with him and his disciples. But when the Pharisees saw this, they asked his disciples, Why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? On hearing this, Jesus said, It's not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. But go and learn what this means. I desire mercy, not sacrifice, for I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners. Then John's disciples came and asked him, How is it that we and the Pharisees fast, but your disciples do not fast? Jesus answered, How can the guests of the bridegroom mourn while he is with them? The time will come when the bridegroom will be taken from them, then they will fast. No one sews a patch of unshrunk cloth on an old garment, for the patch will pull away from the garment, making the tear worse. Neither do men pour new wine into old wineskins. If they do, the skins will burst, the wine will run out, and the wineskins will be ruined. No, they pour new wine into new wineskins, and both Are preserved. We thank God for His Word and trust that He'll help us to understand what it means. Amen.
2: Everyone needs compassion, love that's never. Kindness of a savior, the hope of nations. Savior, he can move the mountains. My God is mighty to say, He is mighty to say, forever author of salvation. And conquered the grave. Jesus conquered the grave. So take me as you find me. All my fears and failures fill my life again. Give my life to follow, Everything.
3: Matthew's Gospel, chapter 9, and verses 18 to 26. While he was saying this, a ruler came and knelt before him and said, My daughter has just died, but come and put your hand on her, and she will live. Jesus got up and went with him, and so did his disciples. Just then, a woman who had been subject to bleeding for 12 years came up behind him and touched the edge of his cloak. She said to herself, if I only touch his cloak, I will be healed. Jesus turned and saw her. Take heart, daughter, he said. Your faith has healed you. And the woman was healed from that moment. When Jesus entered the ruler's house and saw the flute players and the noisy crowd, he said, go away. The girl is not dead, but asleep. But they laughed at him. After the crowd had been put outside, he went in and took the girl by the hand, and she got up. News of this spread through
0: all that region. Amen. This global pandemic has humbled the world before an enemy invisible to the naked eye. It has badly affected us in these islands, of course, it's taken the lives of tens of thousands of our citizens, but has simply decimated the populations of the world's poor and continues to do so across continents. How grateful I have been to the Irish Presbyterian family for its phenomenal generosity in supporting our appeal to raise funds to give to our overseas partners who've been facing the brunt of this. So thank you. I've asked Mars and Liz Hughes to update us on the amount of money this appeal has raised and how it's being put to good use with our partners.
4: We are delighted that despite all that congregations have been facing through lockdown here, over 350,000 pounds has been raised through the moderator's Christmas appeal, and the money is still coming in. These funds are divided three ways. A third each to our main global development partners, Tier fund and Christian Aid Ireland, and the remaining third divided between our global church partners, in particular, those who have the capacity to carry out some form of COVID prevention programme, however limited that might be. Stories are coming back to us already. In DRC, Christian Aid's local partners, including the Church of Christ in Congo, have trained 240 community-based health workers, as well as 30 faith and community leaders so they could hold community awareness sessions in their own communities. In total, they've reached over 60,000 people with information about keeping safe from the virus. Balonza Mukaruka is a community health worker in South Kivu who received the training and she tells it as she sees it. We are afraid of coronavirus, she says, because it is dangerous and easily contagious and the medical care at our hospital is poor. If this disease gets to us it would be a disaster. Coronavirus has significantly affected our lives. The community has become very poor because of lockdown. Prices at the market have increased and it's harder to get basics such as soap, sugar and salt. Another story from Tier Fund partner Mavuna who's working with eight churches in their area of DRC to select the most vulnerable households in the community to receive training and be encouraged to join Village Savings and Credit Associations. 15 to 20 people come together each week in these self-help groups to save small amounts of money, which can later be taken as a small business loan. For one mother, the heartache of not being able to feed her children or send them to school is a thing of the past. Her testimony is, when the Lord wanted to change my life, he showed me the way to join my local self-help group. In neighbouring Burundi, Christian Aid's partners have been able to provide over 700 churches with soap and buckets to ensure members can wash their hands before entering. During services, church leaders are also raising awareness and encouraging their congregations to physically distance. Our partners, Christian Aid Ireland and Tear Fund, whose reach and development terms is much wider than our own could ever be, Our partners have been able to do this because of the generosity of our PCI members, the length and breadth of Ireland.
3: As Liz has indicated, another third of the funds from the moderator's Christmas appeal have been used in support of the COVID-19 response of partner churches and organisations around the world, particularly those uh, in eight countries and in locations where there has been a real challenge uh, of healthcare systems being overwhelmed by the virus, and also locations where governments have struggled to provide much of a safety net for the people. The funds have been used in a whole range of ways, whether that has been to provide medication, equip uh, hospital wards, set up isolation units, train hospital staff, provide community awareness, or on occasions simply to help families who have felt all of the restrictions and limitations of lockdown and are in danger of going hungry. While we've been at work in eight countries in this way, I want to mention three briefly. Malawi, where even before the virus took hold, in Ekwendeni, Livingstonia Synod, the hospital roof was damaged due to heavy rains and medicines were destroyed. But thankfully, having overcome that hurdle, their response has been going forward well. And Mpatsuo Guluwe, the Synod Health Coordinator, wrote to say thank you to us for our generous gift. She expressed her relief at getting through the second phase, the second wave of the virus, but fearful about a third one on the way. Moving to South Asia, where the uh, virus has taken hold severely in recent months, and India has been very much in our news bulletins, and PCI have been able most recently to support our partner, the Church of North India, specifically in Gujarat Diocese, where tragically so many of their members have passed away, including those, some in leadership and 12 ministers have lost their lives due to COVID. Of course, that Indian variant has spread into neighboring countries, including Nepal. And today in Nepal, the number of cases has shot up to 8,000 a day. Uh, Hospitals, healthcare system is just overwhelmed at this time. There is a severe shortage of oxygen. There is a need of (coughs) ventilators, There's only 480 in the country today. There's a need for four to 5,000. Thankfully, PCI have been able to make a contribution to the wonderful life-saving work of the United Mission to Nepal and their hospitals at Okaldunga and Tansen and also their response in the rural communities. The moderator's appeal remains open and I know at times we feel our contribution is but a drop in the ocean But let me say that our praying and our generous giving does make a difference. And I want to thank you for it and to encourage you in it. And let that well-known hymn be our prayer at this time. Breathe on me, breath of God. Fill me with life anew, that I may love as you have loved and do as you would do.
4: Taking up our Bible reading from Matthew chapter 9. At verse 27. As Jesus went on from there, two blind men followed him, calling out, have mercy on us, son of David. When he had gone indoors, the blind men came to him and he asked them, do you believe that I am able to do this? Yes, Lord, they replied. Then he touched their eyes and said, according to your faith, let it be done to you. And their sight was restored. Jesus warned them sternly, See that no one knows about this. But they went out and spread the news about him all over the region. While they were going out, a man who was demon-possessed and could not talk was brought to Jesus. And when the demon was driven out, the man who had been mute spoke. The crowd was amazed and said, Nothing like this has ever been seen in Israel. But the Pharisees said, It is by the prince of demons that he drives out demons. Jesus went through all the towns and villages, teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom and healing every disease and illness. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers, into his harvest field.
0: My wife, Zoe, tells me that I don't always see colour the same way that most people do. And of course she's right. Now I don't think I'm colour blind, but somehow I can't make the connection between what colours go well together and which colours clash horribly. Uh, she does what she can to protect me from this almost daily disaster and how grateful I am for that. I can look and look, but somehow not see. Let's look and see what Jesus said and the encounter that he had with the crowds in Matthew chapter 9, verse 36. When he saw the crowds... He had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest field. In verse 36, Jesus saw the crowds. He didn't just look at them and count them and analyze their numbers. He saw them. He saw them for the multiple life stories that they represented. He had a sense of them, a feeling for them. He had insight into their problems and their aspirations, their joys and their sorrows, their confidences and their insecurities, the accuracies and the misapprehensions of their take on the world. He saw them. He knew them. Felt the cost to him of their alienation from God. Jesus saw the crowds. Now, in this short passage before us today, Jesus is speaking after a series of encounters of various kinds that he had with people who, for one reason or another, were deeply broken. There was a paralyzed man lying on a mat and he was healed. But, of course, in doing so, the doubters about Jesus' authority to forgive sins were simply confronted and confounded. They were like sheep without good shepherds. The people were being led astray this way and that. They didn't know the truth. They didn't recognize it even when it was right before their eyes. And in the verses before us, this uh, despised, corrupt, and thieving embezzler Uh, invited Jesus to dinner one day who, when he was criticized for his choice of friends, said, well, of course, you don't need a doctor if you're healthy, only if you're ill. He had compassion on a man whom everyone else absolutely despised and hated. In fact, that same despised and corrupt tax collector ultimately wrote this very gospel. It's Matthew's own testimony, his own story his own encounter with Jesus, which evidently changed his life. When the appropriateness of this teaching as a rabbi was questioned by religious people whom Jesus encountered, he said, well, it's like this. New wine, you know, it belongs in a new wineskin. I'm not going to sew patches to cover up the holes on your old religion. I'm going to do something completely new here. So when a leader of that old, bankrupt, full of holes, religion told him tearfully and from his heart that his daughter had died. This was a moment of terrible grief. Jesus with great care took her lifeless hand and she got up. What a great clue to point to this new thing that Jesus was doing, this new religion, this new way of life. A blind man was given his sight as if to say, Well, the world is sightless and it needs to see. A man who couldn't speak was unable to talk as if to say the world needs to hear and understand God's speaking. And people were amazed at Jesus' teaching and his actions. So Jesus saw the crowds. He knew the texture of the community that he was among, fearful of their religious leaders, oppressed by Corrupt and dishonest officials, distraught by illness and disability, in the grip of multiple silly superstitions, he saw the crowds before the church really does anything effective. It needs to see the crowds, it needs to understand them. This is the very first principle of Christian mission, of course, the very first task we must give ourselves to see the crowds. What are they like? What are their fears, those crowds who live around us? What are their needs? What might good news look like for those crowds? So to the elders and leaders among you, I suggest today that you get out a map and draw a circle around your church building. Now the circle could be just half a mile across if you're living in a city or maybe 10 miles across or more if you're in the countryside. But nonetheless, ask yourself the question, who lives and works in that circle? Are there schools there? Are there shops in that circle around your building? Who owns the shops? Do you know them? Have you called in and said hello? Have you asked them how they're doing in the pandemic? They're the crowds Learn to see them if you hope to reach them and then learn to love them if you want to keep at it long after the excitement of your outreach event or evangelistic campaign is but a fading memory. Secondly, also in verse 36 of this chapter, having seen the crowds, Jesus had compassion on them. Now, compassion means to suffer with Jesus entered into their story of angst so that a simple dinner with a tax collector became nothing less than a revolutionary act. Jesus was completely unafraid to do it and utterly unconcerned about the disapproving reactions of those who thought he was simply a disgrace because he had compassion. In fact, it was his compassion which drove him to do these seemingly unthinkable things. His analysis of the crowds in this verse was that they were, as he puts it, harassed and helpless. They were like sheep without a shepherd, he says. Now, they had plenty of shepherds. It's just that they weren't very good. Their religious shepherds were motivated much more by self-preservation than God's glorification. More by their own self-satisfaction than heartfelt compassion such as Jesus demonstrated. But Jesus had compassion and showed them what a really good shepherd looks like. And a good shepherd would take them in their helpless and blind state and bless them with sight. A good shepherd would reach into their harassed and voiceless lives and give them words to speak with joy. A good shepherd would Seek them out in their lostness and rescue them and bring them home. And let's not lose the force of this saying of Jesus. Sheep need shepherds. If they don't have shepherds, they become what he describes, harassed and helpless. There is, in fact, a a causal link between the absence of good shepherds And the fragmentation of healthy living in any society. That's what the absence of good shepherds produces. Harassed means stressed, hassled, beleaguered, worried. Helpless, well, that means stranded or abandoned or destitute or deserted. So the gift of God to the world through his church, through you in fact, is the vital. Ministry of Good Shepherds. And nobody else is going to do it but us. This is more than a gift. This is in fact the way that God rescues the broken. Thirdly, Jesus saw what needed to be done in verse 37 of this chapter. He said this, The harvest is plentiful, but the labourers are few. How often do we in our churches adopt a defensive stance in face of everything that's happening around us? How often do we say, well, you know, I'm not too sure about the harvest around us, spiritually speaking. There's so much opposition to us out there. People think we're all sorts of things. They think we're homophobic, they think we're transphobic, they think we're medieval. They think we're weird because we believe in a supernatural God. I I just don't know if the harvest is is plentiful at all. In fact, maybe the harvest is hopeless. So any labourers that we have the capacity to, to find and to push out, well, maybe they would be better off used in here looking after us, not out there looking after them. Now, of course, we... Understand why some of us might think that way, and it's because we feel that way, and we feel that way because it's just a relentless and constant message that we get bombarded with. But please understand this. This is neither what Jesus said nor did. The harvest is plentiful, he said, if there's sin around us. The harvest is plentiful if people are broken around us. The harvest is plentiful if in those circles that we've described our lawmakers don't know right from wrong. The harvest is plentiful if our critics tell us that we're simply deluded. The harvest is plentiful if we're on the wrong side of history, whatever that means. In fact, these realities define the harvest. They say There is a world in desperate need of redemption out there. The harvest is indeed plentiful. So how does it feel to be one of the laborers called into this harvest field? Now you might well say to me, oh moderator, we have a minister who does that for us and we we pay for them and we pay them a salary and we provide a house for them and we'll be very supportive of them as they do this on our behalf. And of course, those things are good, of course they are, and we're so grateful that we have ministers and pastors who work with us. But look for a moment at what Jesus really tells his friends to do when faced with this complicated harvest field in that circle around us. He says, Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest field. That's in verse 38. Now, do you see what Jesus really asks for here? Because the harvest field is so plentiful. Complicated, yes, but plentiful. Jesus says, pray that God would solve this. He doesn't say, oh, in the light of these very challenging circumstances, we agree to pay a minister. He says, ask the Lord of the harvest to send out workers into his harvest field. As God surveys the crazy and pitted landscape of this secular field, with its factional interests and its skewed worldviews, with its diseased and grieving peoples, and bombed and starved to the point of despair, abused and exploited by the selfless interests of the unscrupulous, he says, "All of this is mine, and I love it. I love these people." This is what I sent my boy to rescue. Yes, the worst of it, the worst of them. This is why he died. He died for them. This is my harvest field. And because it's mine, I went to these extraordinary lengths to redeem it. It's not your harvest field, it's his. What's in that circle is your challenge primarily it's his. The workers who go out into that harvest field aren't your workers. They're his. I wonder if you've ever found yourself to be the answer to your own prayers. This is a dangerous kind of prayer to pray in verse 37. Now, we could decommission it, of course, and make it safe. You know, if the prayer was, well, we'll send out our minister to do this for us, that would probably produce something apart from making him very tired or her exhausted. And knowing most of the ministers in this church as I do, they would work at it as hard as they are able. But if the prayer is not that, but this, Lord, this is yours. And because this harvest field is yours, we cry to you for it. Will you send out workers into this field alongside our minister? And in answer to that bold, audacious and dangerous prayer, God may well say, your prayer is answered. As with a faster beating heart, a young emerging leader in your congregation catches the vision and steps up to the mark. You haven't spotted them before. They've probably been too young. But God had and was equipping them and raising them up for the task. Another who's been furloughed from work and whose future, maybe even their very future in paid employment is now uncertain, now begins to see that, well, maybe God is working his purposes out. And they say, maybe for a smile for the first time in months, do you know what, I could do that. And for a time, for a season, as we start to come back to worship and to work together, Maybe new things will happen. Still another isolated and lonely for so long, but clearly with a gift of hospitality and welcome, unable to use it for so long, becomes the locus of a ministry to re-establish community and fellowship. Because they've felt the need themselves and they know how important it is to be in the same room as people, ministering to loneliness. God, the Lord of the harvest, looks at this mess this chaos, this bag full of sin and confusion and unrighteousness and shepherdless people all around, harassed and helpless in the Ireland of 2021 and sees not the baleful brokenness of it, but sees the beauty of his boy in the midst of it, speaking truth to falsehood, binding up the brokenhearted and being Jesus to them with the love of his sending father. I am sending you, ask the Lord of the harvest therefore to send out workers into his harvest field and get ready for my hunch is that he might just send you. Nathan and Zara Donnell and Robin and Naomi Walsh are members of my own church in Elmwood And I've asked them to lead us in prayer for others. Let's
5: pray together. Father, we come before you, the awesome God, who reigns high above the heavens. And we know that you have the power and the authority to help our world today. And so we bring before you our prayers for others at this time. We continue to pray for those who are ill with coronavirus, and we ask that you would bring them your healing, your peace and your comfort. We pray for the many staff in hospitals and in care homes who are continuing to work on the front line, putting themselves in harm's way. And we ask that you would strengthen them and protect them, that they may treat and serve those they help effectively. We continue to pray for those in our community who are lonely, who are isolated, and who are finding life difficult at the minute. We ask that you would draw near to them by your Holy Spirit, and that they would know his help and his strength at this time.
6: We pray too for our children and young people. And Father, we know many are uncertain about the next steps and are unsure of what the future holds. Lord God, would you reassure them that you hold their future and you have all their days planned out. And we pray that as they continue to grow up, they would continue to grow in their knowledge of you and that they would become mature men and women of faith. We pray for our leaders in Westminster, Dublin and Stormont, that they would continue to serve the interests of the nation and those who live here. We pray that you would bring them wisdom and clarity, that they may serve in office well, and that they would make decisions that honour you. Father, may we be workers in your harvest field. May we be people who speak of you and who share your good news in our classrooms, our workplaces, and in our communities.
7: And Father, as we share your gospel, as we share Christ, we ask that your spirit would soften hearts to your gospel message and that he would draw them into a relationship with you and we ask that as we see others hear your good news and respond that your church would grow in our land and we pray not only for our own land but as we lift our gaze to our world we pray too for our overseas mission partners we pray for those who are on the front line in the COVID response in India and other countries where resources are stretched. We ask that they would know your strength and help and that you would provide for them all that they would need. We pray for their protection and safety and for meaningful gospel opportunities even in these times. That they may be those who show love in action with the aroma of Christ. That they would see people from every tribe, tongue and nation come to know Jesus as their Lord and Saviour. That you would grow your global church. For we ask all of these things in the name of Jesus. Amen.
6: the start before the beginning of time with no point of rest
0: And now, may grace and mercy and peace from Father and Son and Holy Spirit be with you all, now and for evermore. Amen.